social, impact, everywhere. Welcome back, my fellow social impactors. Today, we have another special episode of the Social Impactors podcast. We have a guest with us today, Anil Gokhale, who is the Director of Philanthropy with the Toronto Foundation. And I've had a chance to uh, meet with Anil a lot and uh, learn about the Toronto Foundation, and they have a really unique way to engage millennials in, uh, in investing uh, and getting in the uh, world of philanthropy. So uh, I'm excited to jump into it, and I first wanted to start with saying, Anil, thank you for taking time to be with me today. Hey, Avery, it's my pleasure. I'm uh, really looking forward to this. I am too. And I, I know that we know each other a little bit too, so this is going to be fun. But um, I want to jump right in the first question. And it really is just an introduction of who you are. But it's an introduction of you as a social impactor. And what that means is what are you doing in the world to make impact? Uh, how do you do it? And who, are, who is Anil? What is Anil doing to make that impact in the world? Great question. Um, well, so, so I think maybe the way for me to articulate this is, is like, um, I think of myself really as a, as a catalyst for social impact, um, whether it's for myself directly, but, but more so um, with all the people that I'm connected to. Um, in my role as Director of Philanthropy at Toronto Foundation, um, I spend a lot of my time uh, working with and meeting with um, individuals and families and, and really helping them think through what um, what a strategic philanthropy lens looks like and, and helping them really understand the opportunities that they have to, to make change. Um, and uh, the Toronto Foundation, we are a community foundation. And so basically um, what we do is, is we, we help connect um, people um, with different ideas and, and, and uh, ways that they can make change. And, um, and a big part of that is by listening and connecting to kind of the things that, that they're most interested and passionate about, and then finding ways to um, inject a lot of the work and understanding that we have through our annual Toronto Vital Signs research. Um, and that really sort of helps connect the dots. And so from a social impact perspective, there is uh, a real opportunity to do some, some exciting things. I've been um, in this role at the foundation for a couple of years and working overall at the foundation for seven. Um, and, uh, and, and all this time in my, in my time at the foundation, I've been working with individuals and families to help them on these different journeys. Um, before that, I used to work at the United Way in a more of a workplace fundraising world. And then before that, I was in the corporate sector working in sales at uh, General Electric. And so um, it's been a very interesting career. But, um, you know, for the last 10 plus years, I've been working in the in the sort of um, in the call it the, the third sector, let's say, but, um, but in general, like, um, I, I've really found my place in, in the work that we do and, and the way that we connect with um, individuals and families to help them make the change that they're trying to make. And then Along the way, we, we try to help influence and, uh, and guide a lot of that as well, which is what gets really exciting. Yeah, and I mean, uh, when I learned about a lot of what you're doing uh, um, with the Toronto Foundation, uh, incredibly innovative ways to engage people in uh, a very traditional sector. Uh, I find philanthropy, and again, this is just my personal opinion, but I find ph philanthropy is a very comes from a very traditional lens, but uh, you've completely turned that on its head. Uh, and I'd love to uh, just discuss a little bit about the Vision 2020. <laughs> I, I absolutely love that and i would love to uh to you know just kind of talk about it and have other people learn about it too 
yeah, for sure. So um, uh, that's actually how you and I first met uh, at a session I did up in Barrie. Yeah. And um, so the, the Vision 2020 program is an initiative um, that we launched here at the foundation um, almost about a year and a half ago now. And um, at its core, what we've done is, is we've created a model to um, engage millennials and Gen Xers um, in this city in a new way of thinking about philanthropy. Um, what's unique about it is, is that uh, we've really created um, a, a vehicle to uh, engage these cohorts, these demographics in a, in a meaningful way. Um, and, and in particular, it's, it's not uh, in isolation, but it's really to bring um, people together in a group. Um, you know, so some of the specifics and, and some of the background around it. So um, when we launched this initiative a year and a half ago, we did a lot of analysis and thinking and looking at um, the work that we, we were already doing as a community foundation. And so just as a quick aside, what we tend to do is, is um, we, we, we work with individuals and families. Um, and when they're looking to become more strategic with their giving, um, they may come to us to set up what's called a donor advised fund. And, uh, and that fund is, is basically um, a, a, a kind of a, a way that they can organize the, the giving that they want to do. And we kind of manage the whole back office. It essentially becomes the alternative to setting up a private foundation. That model is what community foundations across the country and, and in North America and beyond. Um, that's, we all do this. And, and the idea of a community foundation has been around for over a hundred years. First one was in Cleveland in 1914 and came to Canada and Winnipeg in 1921. Here in Toronto, we've been around since 1981. So we're not even 40 yet. In, in fact, we're a millennial, you could say. Um, with, with all that said, um, a year and a half ago when we were doing some deep analysis into our existing donor base, um, you know, we were looking and saying, you know, the, the existing donors that we have at the foundation don't necessarily reflect the city that we live in um, and, and reflect them using kind of in a big way. It's really looking at sort of demographics. It's looking at um, uh, our city's increasingly becoming a younger city. It's a, becoming a more diverse city um, and, and pockets of wealth are, are finding themselves in all sorts of different areas. Um, and so we wanted to better reflect that. And so we said, you know, one of the things we could do is really think about how we might diversify our donor base. And this is honestly no different than a lot of other organizations um, in the city and in particular across the country. Um, but we thought, how could we do this in a really unique and, and impactful way? So we did some analysis and looked at, you know, what are the other things that are going on out there right now that are that are have been created and geared towards a quote unquote next gen audience. And, you know, there's some great um, programs that exist out there, whether it's at the art gallery or the sick kids hospital or St. Mike's or the, the ballet where they've created these initiatives that are focused at a millennial audience or a gen X audience. And they're kind of um, very much about engaging uh, these groups. The challenge with those things though is, is that they, they tend to be um, for starters, they're, they're cause specific. So it's all about that institution. And, and which for some people is okay, but for a lot of people in these demographics, we're interested in more than one thing. And so that's where um, uh, it, might, it might not align. And then the other thing is, is a lot of these programs that exist already tend to be very event heavy and um, sometimes fundraising event heavy and, and sort of galas and that kind of stuff. And, and again, like that's not necessarily the motivation for a lot of um, younger donors or younger social impactors, let's say. 
Um, so we looked at all that and we said, well, you know what? We actually can lead with a different um, um, lens. And for us, it's all about education. Um, Toronto's Vital Signs, which I referenced earlier, is um, um, sort of a, a detailed um, quality of life or, or almost like a report card um, that we produce um, that gets people thinking about the, the issues at play in this city and some of the different ways that um, that uh, the city is um, and, and its people are involved in, in making change. Um, we, through that research that we do every year, we have a good knowledge of uh, what's going on in the city and then more importantly, some of the uh, organizations at play that are really trying to make change. So we thought, you know, how could how could we take that knowledge and actually impart that on a on a sort of new um, new emerging group of um, of donors, and that's really where this concept for Vision Twenty Twenty came to be. We coupled that with um, a big global movement that was going on that we learned about uh, around the same time of this thinking, which was um, the Rockefeller Foundation um, uh, in honor of their hundredth anniversary, where um, they created this One Hundred Resilient Cities initiative as a global movement and. Toronto applied and the city of Toronto that is um, um, became one of the resilient cities and so what we've since done is is we basically um, created a, a curriculum a program that will um, bring in new donors um, to, to start their first foundation um, and they are part of a cohort that is doing this in, in conjunction with each other and um, we've essentially created, we, we often think of it as a philanthropic MBA program where they come on board, they set up their foundation and they are with us for a two year learning journey about urban resilience and philanthropy. Um, the program kicked off in January of 20, uh, 2018, so about a year ago. So we're, we're a year in and then graduation for this current cohort will be in uh, December of 2019. So in, in just under a year's time. So in total, the, the group will be with us for two years. And um, I'm sure you've got other questions that'll get into some of the rest of this. Yeah, no, I just I wanted to say that I think it's such an incredibly uh, innovative way to to bring new, not new blood, but new people into uh, into the philanthropic world. Uh, what a cool way. And I, I love the idea of, you know, an MBA in philanthropy. I think that's think that's super unique. And it also targets that audience. And, you know, uh, being in uh, millennial generation, I think uh, I would definitely do that. It seems like there's more of an ROI, but more of a sustainable ROI to uh, to putting your money into the good things. Yeah, you know, and, and I think as we've sort of looked through it, like, so we had set a goal of attracting 50 people to join this program as we were kind of recruiting back in, uh, uh, you know, a year and a half ago. And what I'm excited to tell you is, is we ended up with 115 people in the program that collectively have created 72 new permanent donor advised funds or permanent foundations. Um, you know, the reason it's 72 out of 115 is, is that there's a number of couples that are doing it. There's um, about five sets of siblings and there's a couple sets of friends. And then there's a, uh, the rest would be doing it solo. And um, what's particularly cool is, is that if you look at the, the sort of the range of folks that are involved, um, the youngest is 23 years old and the oldest is 51. So it very much spans the two cohorts. The kind of mean or, or average age, I'd say, is somewhere in the um, late 20s to early 30s. So right around that kind of core millennial generation, I'd say. Um, and um, 
but there for sure are some people, uh, I mean, I'm 40 and uh, what's exciting is, is my wife and I, we're part of this cohort as well. And so we've created our foundation and, and it's an opportunity for us to use this as a catalyst to engage in conversations with our kids. And so we're two of the 115 and then there's so many other great stories that I can share about um, folks that have gotten involved in this and, and have different, everyone's got different motivations to be a part of it. But I think what you've just said hits the nail on the head. There's a real commonality that people have. And, and, and we're, what we for sure see is, is there's a real common um, sense of values. Um, and that's what we've really created. It's a way to um, uh, bring together people with a shared um, uh, value set uh, that, um, you know, uh, really are looking at, um, catalyzing their own philanthropy, but also not doing it in a silo, really looking to leverage, looking to work with others to, to make catalytic change, which is really exciting. Did you, when you started this, I know you had that goal of 50, but did you think that you would get, uh, you know, that many people involved? Was that, was that on your radar? Or was that a complete, uh, complete shock? Um, so I'd be lying if I said it was on my radar, but <laughs> as we went through it, um, I will say it was, it became less and less of a shock. Um, what was fascinating is, is um, so I guess in the summer or fall when we first started, um, you know, kind of went to our nearest and dearest, let's say. So um, some existing fund holders that were in the demographic that we thought might be interested in, in adding new money to join something, some kids of existing fund holders or maybe a kid or two of a board member. That's kind of where we went first and foremost. But beyond, once we kind of got the first 10 or 15 in, it was fascinating. What started happening is, is like the phone just kept ringing and emails kept coming in because people were telling others. Um, we did not do any traditional um, marketing of this initiative. Um, there was no social, there was no, no way. billboards or anything like it literally was all word of mouth and, oh <laughs> um, and it just grew. Like I, I had a list of, you know, I don't know, 40, 50 names on a, on a sheet that I was kind of tracking because I wanted, you know, people just in the network, et cetera, that I thought I'd want to get this in front of. And I never got to over half of that list because it was just, it was crazy the the kind of response we were getting and, and the interest that people were having. And then once you had a conversation with somebody and, and kind of explained to them what it was and how exciting it was, it, um, it just kept growing from there. And, uh, and there was interest and someone said, yeah, I want to do this. And we made it really, um, we made it really, um, really key where, um, it was a really easy um, ask. It was quite binary. Um, the commitment is $10,000 over two years. And so it was very much a, like, you could almost make it like a, are you in, are you out kind of question. And, and there wasn't a lot for people to have to think about. What was also really important is that we didn't have the whole thing set up. We went into this as we were recruiting. We were telling people, hey, listen, we don't have all the answers. This is actually a bit of a guinea pig that we're doing. And I mean, you're a guinea pig, and this is a bit of a petri dish that we're working through. And we're looking to co-create this together. And I think that was really important because I think people wanted to um, be able to be part of actually creating this curriculum and kind of coming up with what this um, what this MBA would look like, MBA I say in quotes. And so, so that was really neat because usually a charity will come to you and make an ask of you, but they'll, it'll be pretty prescribed. It'll be like, okay, we, we need this much because we're doing X, Y, and Z. We're evaluating it this way. And, and this is 
what we hope the ROI to be and, and would you like to invest? And, and this thing was very different, right? Like we, we don't have all the answers. We have a bit of a blank sheet and we've actually built a lot of the curriculum in year one that's already happened and in year two that's coming. We've built a lot of that based on what we heard during the recruitment phase and what we've heard throughout um, all of the surveying that we've done as the program's been uh, ongoing. Yeah, and well, it's it's such a unique way, and I mean, I mean, I think the reason there was so much uptake was because people saw um, much. You talked about very binary, you know, marketing and how you reached out to people, but uh, I find that many times when you have traditional charities or you have charities that reach out, it seems very transactional, uh, mm-hmm. and it almost seems like there there's a need to uh, a need to invest, but. Um, it doesn't make you feel great about it. <laughs> and maybe this is just my own personal experience, but I usually find it's more of we need your money and then uh, not directly will make you feel bad if you don't do it. But I found that when you reached out with 20, uh, uh, Vision 2020 and, and with the next cohort, I'm hopefully going to get involved with it if I can, uh, you really reached out to say that you can make sustainable change in your communities. And then yeah, I think that yeah. was unique in your own messaging. And I think that's a reason why you had so much success in the first time. Well, and this is where I think um, as a community foundation, we're actually uniquely positioned to do just that. Um, We are not a single cause charity. And so uh, when I said earlier that with some of the existing programs from other institutions, like the challenge sometimes is that they are single cause focused you know, in a lot of cases that actually works to the advantage of most organizations because you can really make a compelling story. You can really hone in on like why X is important for this person and, and kind of hit a home run that way. In, in the community foundation's case, um, we often say we're a charity, but we're not a cause. And that's oh. a really important distinction. And I think in a program like this, the cause really, or the curriculum is philanthropy full stop. And we can then get into kind of, well, Avery, you might be interested in climate change, but then this person over here is actually interested in supporting newcomers. And you can both do that at a community foundation um, and you can both be part of this program, um, um, but you can have different sort of ultimate interest areas. And what's so cool about this is, is because we've created a network over time, you might actually say, you know what, I like this climate change stuff, but I also really want to dive into this newcomer stuff that I learned about from you and you might do something together. And, and that's really the exciting thing that we've been seeing now because the cohort has started to, to kind of create their own opportunities together. And, you know, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram, like I often see our vision 2020 hashtag with, um, you know, groups of the cohort that are just off doing their own thing and they're at a particular event and they've kind of, um, organized amongst themselves and they're out kind of uh, learning about something. Um, You know, back in year one of the program, we organized these resilience labs where in conjunction with the chief resilience officer at the city, we we created this network of, we had 10 um, uh, organizations scattered across the city from downtown and like Alexander Park and and, uh, and Parkdale to Scarborough, to Etobicoke, et cetera, where, our cohort members were encouraged to go out into the community and learn and meet with local residents in these areas and and find out what some of the issues were that they were battling and tackling with. And our cohort members were specifically there to be ears on the ground, let's say, for them to learn about some of the issues and understand how local people are thinking about how to make some of those changes. And then what the hope was is, is that this would get people starting to think about 
local needs and and how it's different from neighborhood to neighborhood because it's probably easy to say that um you know a lot of people you're kind of uh you're a product of where you're from and and if you've grown up in a particular part of the city and and never really gone elsewhere you just wouldn't know and what's what's great is is our group our 115 um you know it it looks like the city of Toronto in all um, facets of how I say looks. It's, um, it's kind of, it's a very diverse group. It's um, first generation Canadians, second generation Canadians. There's kind of a whole gamut of people that are involved in this. And as a result, it's, it's added this like uh, real elevated um, level of, um, of uh, understanding of many of the issues, but of course not having all the answers. And, and I think what's important about a group of, quote unquote, next gen philanthropists is, is there's a real uh, acknowledgement that we actually don't know all the answers. We don't know everything and we're okay with that. And we're, we're open to learning. And I think that's a really important thing that sometimes um, kind of, let's say, let's just say, and I'll use this very generalizing in, in quotes, but old school philanthropists might, might sit at a table and say, um, here's, I see this is your problem. Here's the solution that I would recommend. And this is what you should do. Um, this group is more about listening and, uh, and really trying to um, come at solutions uh, in conjunction with people with lived experience and people who are actually experiencing some of the issues at hand. Uh, and I mean, I love that. I think that's the way uh, that business uh, is being done in the, uh, right now and is going to be uh, more broadly done in the future because uh, it's, it's causation, right? It's cause and effect. And you can only um, prescribe something or only change something if the people who are um, having those challenges are a part of the conversation. Otherwise, it just makes no sense. It's a little bit of right. top down versus, you know, holistic <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I love that. But I, I want to jump into the next question because uh, this is going to be uh, a very unique perspective that you bring. Uh, and it's on business, but it's on uh, business and social impact. Yeah. And so the question I have is, do you believe social impact is an important part of business? So um, I do. Um, I'm not sure everyone's going to agree with me, but, but I, I guess that's why we have forums like this to discuss these things. Um, it's um, for me, I think there's a real opportunity that business has to, um, to be part of um, social movements and social change. Um, I guess, um, you know, it's interesting, right? Like, like capital C corporations and business, like at the end of the day, their main focus is to, um, is to earn money and, and drive shareholder growth and all that kind of stuff. And, and, or if you're in a private business, it's to kind of um, support the family that's, that's come up with the idea and has the business going. Um, the, the thing I would say is, is that um, uh, there's, there's so, especially in, in, as, as we stand today in 2019, there are so many um, uh, social issues at play that are really um, just, you know, at a whole other level of, of, uh, of challenge for a lot of people in, in communities across cities, across countries, et cetera, that um, where possible, I'd love to see business um, playing more of a role in, in, in helping. Like I, I think of examples like a, like a Tom's Shoes or, or what Bell is doing with their Let's Talk program um, and, and trying to drive change in some of these areas. I, I, I don't think they're all getting it right all the time, but, but I think if more businesses are starting to think 
of how the work that they do in their day, day in and day out can, can have a, an effect on some, some element of social change, I think that would be um, really, uh, really great. Yeah, and I and I mean, generally, uh, when I when people are on this forum on this podcast, they they, <laughs> they share the same views because uh, these are people making social impact in the world. But yeah, um, I do agree with you, and I think that there is um, a trend of building social impact in a lot of social purpose businesses, but yeah. it's not uh, as much as I'd like to see yet. Right, we still have work to do, and and you're right, there are so many diverse social issues in the world right now. It's it's crazy how many there are, but there's a, a reason for it, and it's because we need to. Um, stop applying band-aids to solutions and really find those holistic and sustainable root causes uh, mm -hmm. and solve those. Yeah. So, Anil, I have a question then about the Vision 2020 program. It sounds, uh, you know, I know about it. it, sounds incredible, but I want you to talk to me a little bit more about, you know, the specifics of executing it. What was that like? And, you know, some of the key partners and, and people you worked with, what was that like? Yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm glad you've asked this question, Avery, because it's, um, I mean, there's that old adage, it takes a village, right? And um, with something like this program in particular, it has been um, pretty full on in terms of a, a very crowded village, but uh, a really, really happy and, and awesome one to, to be a part of. Um, for starters, I think uh, where I'd like to probably focus my answer to this question is, is probably... Um, inside the house and then we can go outside the house. So if we start inside, um, for sure this, this, um, this idea has been one that, that's been marinating inside me for a long time and, and you know, through some first and foremost uh, amazing uh, leadership from um, our president and CEO, Sharon Avery, um, and, and some of her thoughts and knowledge about her past experiences um, in previous roles adding to this and kind of taking it to the next level um, really sort of provided the space to, to make this even possible. Then it really comes down to some really incredible and amazing project execution. Um, at the foundation, we have adopted over the last probably year and a half to two, uh, a really um, intense project management um, framework. And um, uh, Vision 2020 has been a prime example of a project that uh, we're using with that methodology to ensure that you know, all aspects of the program are taken care of. And our project manager extraordinaire um, is a colleague of mine, Sarah Pendleton, who has really been um, just kind of keeping us on track and working through the whole program um, sort of really just making the engine go, let's say. Um, and, and what that's allowed is, is it's allowed people like myself and Sharon and some of our other colleagues to really be um, uh, fund holder facing or, or donor facing. And, and that's just, you know, made uh, the experience of all the participants that much more strong because they themselves are just feeling like they're they're you know getting the attention they want and 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 uh, having all their questions answered etc um, because we have confidence that really just the execution of the project is is happening the the other piece of the project management that um, that's really sort of been owned by Sarah I would say is just this whole idea of the curriculum of the program and building that out um, so as the months go by it all flows into one cohesive unit um, we've really tried to structure it where we have key learning principles that we're trying to follow and um, and that's those objectives are really the ones that are really sort of pushing forward and and all of the work behind the scenes is making that happen um, my partner in crime um, Nicole Lilawala is our development coordinator and um, 
she for sure um, has been kind of uh, a stalwart through the whole project to to ensure that all the the kind of nitty gritty details with everyone's individual funds are being taken care of, managing their donation pages and just all the kind of back and forth with one on one donors. Um, so because as as your listeners would know, there's there's strategic elements, there's tactical elements, and and they all you know need a focus and, and need to get taken care of. And so having this team um, uh, behind us uh, really enables all of that to happen. So that would be sort of how I'd look at the inside the house. Um, when I think about outside the house, um, I think the the a really important um, consideration to to mention is this idea of having an external partner. And for us, um, the way we we position that is, is we actually went to a long time corporate partner of the foundations that we've had um, a long relationship with primarily through our um, Toronto's Vital Signs research over the past number of years. Um, and and that, that particular connection that we had with, um, uh, with this partner um, was kind of coming to an end. Um, and we had an opportunity to talk to them about a new opportunity, Vision 2020. And so I'm delighted to say that um, our friends at KPMG uh, were really keen to explore this. It, it really fit with a lot of their thinking and the way that they uh, interact with their own employee base. And um, um, sure enough, uh, we put in front of them an idea where KPMG could literally underwrite the cost of running this program. And so uh, what they agreed to was a dollar amount sponsorship over three years, as well as in-kind um, uh, space and catering and all that kind of stuff. And so that's just been incredible because as you can imagine, um, um, I mentioned earlier how we, we have all these events and get togethers with the cohort every, um, you know, six to eight weeks or so. Um, when we're doing all of those, we often um, have them at various locations throughout the city um, from time to time. Um, they might be at a in sort of a Bay Street boardroom. Um, typically, it would be at KPMG. At other times, they're at community spaces, but we would still have catering costs, etc. And so by having a, a partner that's willing to um, step up and, and underwrite and help out, um, all of those considerations uh, from, a, from a, a dollars and cents perspective are just taken care of. And, um, you know, we've got a budget and we're just working through that. And so it, it just makes the execution um, so much smoother. And, um, and you know, to have a partner like that, that's just willing to, um, to make that all happen. And, you know, there was beyond kind of putting their logo in a couple places and mentioning them from time to time, like, they didn't really ask us for much more than that. And, um, and, and so that's been pretty amazing. And, you know, it, it didn't, we didn't purposely do this, but um, it's funny how it all ended up. We ended up with actually three uh, three different people from KPMG uh, as part of the cohort. Um, one as a couple, one uh, with a friend, and another solo. Um, since then, two of them have actually moved on and, and are working in other places now. Um, but uh, I think it just shows that... Um, the company sort of as a corporate objective um, aligns really well with um, a lot of their associates, partners, et cetera. And, um, and so it was a, a really smart fit with the organization um, for, for them to be on board with this vision 2020 initiative. And so do you mind if we jump in the last question, please? Yeah. And I, I love this question and I want to get your opinion on it, but when uh, people listen to this podcast and people in your network, whatever network they come from, what's your advice to start getting involved and start building social impact in their communities? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so 
One of the things that we've done through this Vision 2020 program that I think is really exciting, and I, I'd, I'd be happy to share this in more detail um, down the road with folks if they're interested in learning more, is um, we've incorporated this 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 one piece of the uh, of, of our kind of curriculum, which is a real exercise that's very inward looking. It's it's very much about um, looking at and understanding what are your own personal values and what are the the kind of the messages that you have around money. Um, and this is a neat place to start because it is very introspective and it gets people really kind of getting, you know, is, is kind of recognition, uh, something that, that motivates you is helping others is trust is, um, is competition, like different values, um, drive different agendas. And so I think it's important for people to have a good understanding of their own personal value set, um, because that will help drive the kind of change and kind of interest that they're that they want to get involved in um, so that's a neat place to start um, let's assume now that that someone has kind of done some thinking around that done some reading whatever and, and has a good sense of that I think then it's really trying to connect those values with um, issues that are at play so what we often think about at the community foundation is is what are the issues you can be tackling rather than the institutions um, Typically, um, giving starts, um, at least uh, dollars giving, tends to start with, okay, so what is the, the cause that I can give to? But you typically, most Canadians typically go to the institution that they might give to to support cause X. The thing that we like get we like to get people thinking about is, is like, let's just say healthcare is the thing that you're interested in. The interesting thing to understand is, is that like healthcare is quite a broad piece, right? And, and so for sure you can give to a hospital foundation and support X, Y, and Z, and, and they do such important work and it's a really important piece of the pie, but also thinking about all the other parts of the healthcare ecosystem and the downstream effects, whether it affects um, poverty, whether it, um, um, whether there's a, a food security issue around healthcare, whether there's a housing aspect, there's so many other drivers to an issue that, that I think it's important to think about what are all the other pieces of that. And, and that's something that we often get people thinking about. There, there was an Imagine Canada study that was done about a year ago um, that said that 66% of all charitable revenues in this country goes to 1% of the organizations. Really? And that's a, like, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a big number that that's going in kind of one direction. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of the way that generally Canadians have been conditioned to give. And I'm not for a second saying that, um, you know, a lot of those organizations that are receiving a lot of that money, I'm not saying that they are bad organizations or stop giving to them. I think they're really important and they oftentimes put a lot of um, us on the map in terms of the, the work that they do from a research perspective or, um, uh, you know, kind of just the impact that they're having in education sectors, et cetera. But what I think I'm, I, what I am saying is, is that when I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the organizations in uh, tackling food security in Parkdale or an organization that's supporting newcomers in Scarborough, like organizations like that, are totally under the radar and no one's really thinking about them. So I think where possible to answer your question, like if, if people can, uh, you know, at the local community level, if they can really think about some of the issues at play um, that are kind of paramount to, to them that are in line with their values, they can often find that small to medium sized grassroots organization that they might really be able to connect with and make strong impact with. Um, 
at the foundation, and, and people can find this on our website, torontofoundation.ca, um, we've uh, produced a, a few of these things called good to give guides. A good to give guide is think of it almost like a catalog of giving opportunities. Um, what it is, is, is it's basically um, uh, a publication that we created. We've done three now where they highlight organizations, typically small to medium sized organizations in the city that have applied for, been shortlisted for, or received a grant from Toronto Foundation. And so we feel strongly about the work that they've done. We've done due diligence and created almost like a shortlist. And so we thought, you know, rather than all this info just sitting in a a, in a folder somewhere, let's actually share it because this is really helpful information for donors, for them to understand about the types of things they might get involved in. And so those are the kinds of tools that might exist out there. You know, Trillium Foundation has a great resource on their website about all the organizations that they give grants to. You might look to a place like that to see who are the organizations in your local community that are that are recipients of a Trillium grant, um, because chances are, if they're getting grants from a place like the like us or like Trillium, they're probably also getting grants from other entities because there's a real opportunity, um, there's a leverage point, right? Where if, if you received money from Foundation X, you can often go to another organization and say, look, we, we've got the seal of approval from this org, how might we leverage that into more? And, and there's an opportunity to try to make change that way. So I think those are some of the tips I might suggest for people that are looking to get more involved at the local community level. And I will for sure put a plug in for community foundations in general. There's close to 200 of us in, uh, across the country. So whether you're in Barrie or whether you're in London or whether you're in Ottawa or Vancouver or Toronto, um, you can find a local community foundation that's there, that's willing to help and support the work that you're doing. Um, what's exciting is, is this Vision 2020 program we've been talking about. I've actually shared this idea. I mean, we've shared it across the country, but I've had detailed conversations with over 10 of my peers from other community foundations in other cities. And there's a good chance that others are going to be setting up and creating their own um, versions of the program, which is really exciting as well. No, and I mean, uh, two, I think, important points you said there is, uh, one is competition is never a bad thing. Uh, if there are more people in the space that are doing similar things, uh, that just drives the, the marketplace, that drives the economy, and that also drives social change if you're in something like this. So yeah. I, I love that you're reaching out to other uh, community foundations and doing that. Uh, and the second thing is equity in the space, or rather, um, yeah, equitable, equitable distribution in space, right? You need to be able to have opportunity as a small organization uh, or a small fund to be able to do these things. And I think that that is, uh, um, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but that's a modern approach to, to things that I think is a huge solution to some of these smaller um, funds and organizations to get that success that they need, right? Uh, and I mean, we're finding it in the education space too. There's these organizations that we're now working with that um, I we wouldn't have before, but now because we've, we've flipped the, the script and, and we're working with more local and more small, we're actually seeing better success because there's yeah. more opportunity and, and these and they just want to be involved. <laughs> totally. It's funny. I'm smirking right now because it's as if I, I planted um, some things in your mind. Like <laughs> that, that concept of equity is, is, is like, it's driving everything that we do at the foundation right now. And um, awesome. I think it's here to stay. Like it really equity at all levels. But I think the thing that we've really tried to um, focus on is, is that there's actually a real inequity in philanthropy in this country. Oh, yeah. um, and, uh, and we're really trying to shine a light on that. And I mean, that Imagine Canada stat is, is a great example of that. And so um, I think where possible, um, you know, our 
not so secret agenda is how do we get our fund holders and our community and just donors in general thinking about all the ways that they can kind of wrap around their giving to make more change, to, to make more social impact, to really um, find those um, areas that are really important for them and, and dive deeper um, or wider than they might normally. And so um, that's where you start hitting this equity piece and start getting at um, trying to understand um, some of the issues at play. And I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Well, I, I love that. And I mean, uh, I, I'm sending uh, positive, <laughs> positive thoughts your way into every you know, community fund that's doing the same thing. Uh, keep building that equity in, the, in, in this space and keep uh, building opportunity for, uh, for other people. Uh, and I just wanted to you know, end the podcast with saying, you know, thank you, Anil, for so much for being on the podcast, but also talking about these important issues. Uh, I don't know if they're talked about enough. I'm sure they are, but I, I, I think any conversation about equity and building these opportunities is, is needed. Uh, and so, you know, thank you for, for being a thought leader in that space. My pleasure. And, you know, I'll just say a couple last things. Like I think, um, I, I actually don't think they're getting talked about enough. And so I think um, avenues like yours to ask these kinds of questions and get them out there, I think are really important. I think we actually need more people in this sector talking about um, issues of equity in the sector because it is it is a challenge. And I think it's something that um, at the community foundation level, we're certainly talking about, but um, we've got to find other, other ways to kind of get the conversation going. And I think even through the Vision 2020 program, right? Like we, we now have 115 people that are engaged in this program and, and they've, you know, been sharing and thinking about these things and talking about it with their own networks. And, and you mentioned kind of the next cohort. We, 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 we do plan on, on having a new cohort, which would start uh, officially in January of 2020. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, folks can get in touch with us if they're interested in getting involved uh, in that next cohort. Um, we've actually, it's, it's, I can't believe I'm saying this because it's, um, it's kind of the, the quote unquote, the fundraiser's dream, let's say, but um, we've got nearly 30 or 40 people kind of sitting on a wait list right now um, that, that are waiting to join us because um, they've kind of heard about this or seen what's involved and they really just want to be a part of it as well. And so um, all the learning that we've done from this first go around of it, um, that's all going to just um, make the next cohort like that much stronger and make that program that much better. And so we'll keep evolving um, and, uh, and our cohorts are going to be the ones that will drive that evolution because um, we learn so much from them and, and so that's the exciting piece but I think this equity conversation this um, this conversation around building social cohesion and whatnot and I mean we see things like the growing gap in, in equity or the going growing gap between kind of the top and the bottom those are things that are real especially in large urban centers like Toronto and so I think um, uh, we need to be at the forefront of, of trying to make change in these areas and working in part partnership with a lot of the organizations that are trying to kind of lift everyone up. And, and I think that's the way we can do it. Well, Anil, I'm, I'm sending you, uh, again, as much, uh, as much positive energy as I can. And I really do wish you the best of luck on that, that vision, uh, the next vision 2020, or I guess vision 20, uh, 22, it's going to be called. <laughs> uh, we're still figuring that out, but okay. uh, yeah, more to come on that. <laughs> I'm wishing you the best of luck on that. And uh, you definitely have a lot of people uh, in the community that are supporting you. And uh, again, I'm going to continue driving this conversation. So I hope others take away from this that they can drive the conversation too. Perfect. Thank you very much for the opportunity today, Avery.